I'm still Stuart Mazzell, lead pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Hasn't changed since I was down there. Um, and I am very thankful again for all of you being here and for those who are joining us online and on the podcast. We're almost done with our series on joy. And if you've been following along with us, you've probably thought, but what about, But what about when stuff happens in our lives, when mess happens, when problems happen? Can I really have joy in those moments? And and this is what uh, God's word says from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let me pray for us one more time. Jesus, these are hard words, but they're your truth. So give us the ability to believe these words are true. And not just true in a general sense, but they're true for the trial that we are facing now, the trial we've come out of, the trial we are going into, that we would believe And we would be able to even, in the midst of problems and heartache and trouble, find your joy. Give us insight into that. And again, Holy Spirit, we need you. We cannot do this on our own. We need you to transform our minds so that we will think clearly and well about what it is that you are doing in us. So work, Holy Spirit, for our good, for your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and for the good of people around us. Amen. I don't know if you've heard this story, but years ago, a garbage collector named Craig Randall, who lives in Peabody, Massachusetts, noticed in the trash that he was collecting a Wendy's cup. And on the Wendy's cup, it had a contest sticker. I don't even know if they do this anymore. Uh, but it, you know, back in the day, they used to have these little stickers on cups. And you pull off the sticker, and you may win fries or a free drink or something like that. Well, Randall had won a chicken sandwich the week before when pulling off one of these stickers. And he thought, well, somebody didn't pull the sticker off, so he reached into the garbage and pulled out this cup, peeled off the sticker, and it was worth $200,000. $200,000. I say that story because sometimes in life, 
things look like garbage. Your life is a mess. And there's so much junk that you're like, I don't know if I can deal with any more of this. But there's something good going on in the middle of that mess, in the middle of that garbage. And that's what we want to talk about today from this passage. Something that can bring us joy even in the midst of garbage that life throws at us. So here's the main point for today. We can have joy even in difficult, challenging, or painful circumstances. We can have joy even in difficult, challenging, or painful circumstances. First of all, there's this passage that we just read where James specifically says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So he wouldn't say that if there's not an opportunity for us to have joy in the midst of trials of various kinds. And notice he did not say in just the little problems or in just the big problems. He says trials of various kinds, whether it's you got a hangnail and it's just bothering you and irritating you, or whether you have cancer, or whether there's a death of someone close to you, that somewhere, in some way, in some fashion, God says that we can still count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. And this isn't just James. James isn't just saying this and saying, like everybody else in the whole scriptures is saying something different, and James is like, hey, you know, James is the optimist and everybody else is the pessimist. That's not what's going on here. No, we see this in other places. And one of my favorite passages to return to, and it's actually an Old Testament passage from the book of Habakkuk, at the very end of Habakkuk. And if you don't know the story, Habakkuk is complaining to God that why are you treating us so badly? He's like, and God basically says, well, let me tell you what's going to happen I'm going to bring in people who were worse than you and they're going to take everybody down. And Habakkuk is saying, what are you doing? How could you do that? How could you do that with them against your own people? Well, it's because of your sin. But don't worry, I'm also going to judge them too. But good is going to come out of it. I promise you. And at the end, Habakkuk says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. In other words, even if... All hell is breaking loose in your life. We can still take a look at God and say, if I lose everything else, I have the love of God. 
I have his favor on me eternally. So yes, we can have joy even in the midst of negative circumstances, painful circumstances, hurtful circumstances. And again, I don't know where all of you came from this morning. Maybe some of you are going through something that is so bad that you think that's impossible. I cannot have joy in this. I cannot find joy in my circumstances. Well, I want you to hear this, and and this is going to sound like I'm contradicting what I just said, but I'm not. You just have to hang in there. You see, the joy that we can have, this joy that Jesus promises, this joy that God promises that we can have, isn't found in the circumstances themselves. We have to get this right. Christians, non-Christians, whoever you might be, we have to get this right. Because so much stuff has been written, so much stuff has been said that contradicts what the scriptures actually tell us. We have to get this in our minds that the joy that we have is not found in the circumstances themselves. You would think somebody had lost their mind if they came home from the doctor and they said, Hey, honey, I have cancer. Yay! Let's celebrate. You would think they had lost their mind. Because cancer is not something that we celebrate. Cancer is something that is bad. Right? You hear what I'm saying? Let me, if that didn't get you, how about this one? A loved one dies, and that person says, I'm so happy so-and-so died. You would wonder what's going on with that person. Because death is not a good thing. Death is part of the curse of sin. Right? I'm going to need some feedback this morning. Do you hear me? Okay, thank you. I'm going to be preaching at Jehovah next week. They're going to give me feedback, even if I have a stinky sermon. The scriptural viewpoint isn't wearing rose-colored glasses and seeing everything as just peachy king no matter what happens. That's not the scriptural view. We have to be able to say, this is bad. This is wrong. This isn't good. On the other hand, we also can't be those people who wallow in our sorrow, who wallow in the negative things. You know those people who just like, oh, everything is terrible all the time, and I'm so sick of it, and I wish I could just die, but I can't. You know those folks? (laughs) It's not wearing rose-colored glasses. And it's not wallowing in the mess. It's as 2 Corinthians 6.10 tells us. Being sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful about how sin has affected our world. How sin has affected our friends and our family and our loved ones. How sin has affected the church. And we're sorrowful over that. 
But at the same time, we're rejoicing that there is something better than our circumstances, something greater than our circumstances, something that is so much better than anything we're going through that is difficult that we can say, I praise God for this. That's what we're looking at here. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Not wallowing in the mess not trying to pretend like it's not there and sweep it under the rug, but admitting things are bad and also rejoicing in Jesus. Rejoicing in God. Rejoicing in his promises to us. You see, joy does not find itself in our circumstances themselves. No, joy during difficult circumstances is found in how we consider those circumstances. It's how we think about those circumstances. Joy during difficult, sorry, joy during difficulties is found in how we consider the circumstances. Before I go back to James, there's this uh, guy named Epictetus who said this, and you've heard, you may have heard this phrase, men are disturbed not by the things which happen, but by the opinions about the things. Men are disturbed not by the things which happen, but by the opinions about them thing, the things. In other words, it's not what happens to you that makes you disturbed, that makes you upset. It's how you think about that thing. As an example, let's say that after, let's say maybe tomorrow night, you and a group of friends are getting together to go out to eat. And you really want to go to a steakhouse. I mean, you've been imagining this nice, juicy, plump steak for weeks. And you're just ready to dive in. but all your friends want to go to Taco Bell. <laughs> and you make your greatest plea. Come on, guys. It'll be better at the steakhouse. No, I really feel like getting a gordita. <laughs> and so your friends, your friends win the day and you're at Taco Bell. You didn't get the steak that you wanted. How you interpret what's happening next will make or break your mood. Do you hear me? You could get all grumpy. This isn't as good as a steak. I don't like Taco Bell. They don't even have Coke Zeros at Taco Bell. They have Pepsi products. You could do that. Or you could see the good in the situation, right? You could think about, well, you know what? I would have rather had a steak, but it's okay because I'm hanging out with my friends. I can eat a steak by myself, but it's not as good as having a meal with friends. And yeah, maybe Taco Bell isn't my, great, isn't my favorite, but you know what? I'm spending less money. That's a good thing. You can choose to interpret the thing better. 
than what you would be tempted to see it. And that's basically what James is saying. Count it all joy. Consider it pure joy, as one um, version says. My brothers, when you meet trials of, diff- of various kinds, when you're looking at a situation and you see it's trouble, it's trial, it's difficulty... Instead of going, oh no, this is so terrible, and staying there, you can say, oh no, this is so terrible, but God promises something. God promises something. And what does he promise? Verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You know that steadfastness is something you want. Perseverance is something you want. If you're a follower of Christ, you know it's hard sometimes following Jesus. It's hard to be faithful. It's hard to persevere. It's hard to stick with Him. We need steadfastness. We need perseverance. We need faithfulness. And what James is saying is when you're going through a trial, see it as an opportunity that God is at work in you to produce what you need. Wow. And again, James isn't the only one who says this. I'm going to go through these fast, but if you need these passages later, feel free to touch base with me afterwards. Romans 5, Paul says this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In other words, he's saying even when you're going through sufferings, you can rejoice not because of the suffering, but because of what the suffering produces. The suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope doesn't put us in shame because hope in God is a sure thing. It's not like, well, I hope the election turns out okay, or I hope our our economy turns around. Maybe, maybe not. But when we say, I hope in God, the God who never lies, the God who has made us great and precious promises, that's where we can put, we can bank on it. We also see Peter saying something very similar in uh, 1 Peter, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, when you're going through the fire of a trial 
God simply means to cleanse you of that bad stuff so that you come out on the other side as gold. Pure, shining gold. And even Jesus says something very similar. And this is one of those things that I have to like repeat to myself because one, I think I told you last week, one of the things that I, 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 it scares me to death is being made fun of, like being mocked, uh, being laughed at. Jesus says in Matthew 5, you're blessed when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, don't rejoice that people, in the fact that people are saying bad things about you, but that that means that you belong to Jesus. And because you belong to Jesus, they're treating you like they treated Jesus, which means you really belong to Jesus. And you have a great reward in heaven. Some of you know, and this is, this is sort of related, some of you know, this week, I got so angry because someone impersonated me. They sent out a text to many of you saying they were me and asking for you to go out and buy some gift cards. Now, first of all, if that ever happens again, I will never, ever, ever do that. But even if I did, I would never sign my name at the end of the text saying Pastor Stuart Mazell. That's just not me. I would not do that. But it made me so mad. And I'm spending most of Tuesday morning texting people saying, hey, please ignore this. Don't do this. Don't, don't look at this. Trying to call people. Trying to let them know. And somewhere in the midst of that, these passages came to mind. And I said, okay, God, I'm preaching this this week. You must be up to something. Maybe you're trying to cleanse me of my anger. Because I really wanted to punch the guy in the face. It wasn't a love your enemies kind of moment. Or maybe... Maybe he wanted to deal with my own pride. That sometimes people use Jesus' name to pull one over on people. And this is what it feels like, Stuart. You want to continue to follow me? You want to continue to serve me? This is what you're going to go through. Folks, we have to be able to consider our circumstances when they're bad and not just get caught up in the moment, but step back and say, what is God up to in this? And even if I don't know what he's up to, I can always rely on the fact that he promises it's going to be good. Man, that'll preach. All right. 
I want you to hear this and, and let this be some takeaway for you. God is at work. God is at work even in our most troublesome moments to make us perfect and complete in Christ. That is what I lean on all the time. No matter what it is that is troublesome in my life, no matter what it is that is difficult in my life, I have to go back to this. God is at work in this moment to make me perfect and complete in Christ. That's what James says. Count it all joy. Consider it joy. Make your opinion be that I'm looking for what God is doing in this situation when I face trials of various kinds because I know that the testing of my faith produces steadfastness. Verse 4, let steadfastness have its full effect. In other words, don't try to short-circuit the process. Don't try to run away from it or pretend like it's not there. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, that you may be mature, that you may be everything that God is calling you to be and be complete, lacking in nothing. Do you ever get to a point that you're so tired of your own sin? You're so tired of messing up again and again and again. You're so tired of looking at your life and wishing, I wish I was more like Jesus than I actually am. You ever get tired of that, believer? Or unbeliever? Do you ever just get tired of saying, oh, my life is such a mess and I keep doing all these wrong things and I know they're wrong and I don't want to do them, but I'm doing them. I wish I couldn't. I wish I wasn't doing this. Do you ever feel that way? Well, here's where the good news comes in, that when God brings trials into our lives, he's not trying to punish us. He's trying to take those things out. Like, you know, when, you're, when you walk out in your yard in your socks and you get those little things, those little prickly things stuck on your feet, stuck in your socks, or maybe... And pine straw gets stuck on your socks and you walk in and you're like, goodness, and you just start picking those things off. That's what God's doing to us through our trials. He's picking out that mess in our lives. And he promises, promises. We read it this morning from Romans 8 and I'm going to repeat this many, 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 many more times until we finally get it drilled into our skulls, Romans 8, 28, 29 says that we know, we know that for those who love God, all things, all of them, even the bad things, work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And what is that purpose? Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Oh, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I want that day to hurry up for all of us. And my final plea to you, 
Because I recognize this is a lot. And I recognize that some of you may be going through worse trials than anything that I've faced, even in my entire life. And it's easy to be tempted to say, this can't be true. It can't be true. It's nice, it sounds good, but it sounds to me like it's a fairy tale. It sounds like it just can't be right. It's too good to be true. That God could do something good in the midst of my mess. I can't believe it. Or at least, I want to believe, but I'm not quite there. Folks, even though we may be tempted to doubt these truths, these truths that God has promised, Jesus deepens our faith. We may be tempted to doubt these truths, but as we look to Jesus, Jesus will deepen our faith. When we're going through something and we're tempted to doubt God's promises, we look to Jesus and we find that our faith will be deepened. Because whatever awful circumstances we're facing, when we remind ourselves of Jesus, we, we hear the good news. Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. And yet, when he came to earth, he was betrayed by one of his own followers. He was arrested under trumped-up charges. And the rest of his followers ran away from him. And he experienced a miscarriage of justice in a court that sentenced him to execution. Even though he was an innocent man, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was mocked, he was scorned, he was nailed to a cross, and then he died this horrific death that none of us will ever experience anything like it. And then his body was laid in a tomb. That's some bad circumstances. That's awful, horrific circumstances. And yet, God was at work in that circumstance. Because you know what happened? In the midst of these horrendous acts of injustice and hatred and contempt, the people who killed Jesus, God brought about good. Jesus rose from the dead triumphant. He was vindicated as the true Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the good that God brought was not just for Jesus. It was for us. It was for me. It was for you. It was for people all over the world. His death and resurrection brought a profound blessing to an untold number of people all around the world. The curse of sin is reversed. Reconciliation with our God, whom we have sinned against, whom we have broken fellowship with, it, we were restored to Him, and now we're brought back into family to Him. Death, hell, and all the demonic forces that would go against you have received their notice. Your days are numbered. And all because Jesus suffered and then rose from the dead. God worked through that trial to bring about something beautiful for us. And if God did that for us, 
through the trials and tribulations that Jesus went through, do we really think that God won't do the same in our circumstances? Do we really think that God would put his own son through all of that for us and then when we go through something negative, he's like, well, I got nothing for you. Wow. Of course not. The God who promised that he began a good work in us, he is going to carry it to completion. He's going to finish it. He's going to get it done. That's our God. So your action point for this week, when you are facing any difficulty of life, no matter what it is, remind yourself, remind yourself of how the Spirit is at work in you and in others. Remind yourself when you're going through difficult moments of life, of how the Spirit is at work in you and in others. Whenever I've gone through really bad circumstances of any sort, here's what's whispered in my ear. God doesn't love you. No one loves you. They're just pretending to like you. Your life is such a mess, nothing good could come from it. You know what? This is too much for you to handle. This is going to break you. This is going to destroy you. You'll never recover from it. God has abandoned you. Do you hear those whispers too? Martin Luther had a great way of being able to address people on issues. And I love this one. He says, you cannot prevent the birds from flying in the air over your head, but you can prevent them from building a nest in your hair. Those thoughts are going to be there. Those little whispers are going to come. And you know what? When they come, what we need to say is, no, 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 little bird. You are not building a nest in my hair. Shoo. Or as they say in eastern North Carolina, get. When those whispers come, instead of letting them build a nest in our hair, we say no to those things and we remind ourselves of the true promises of God. Remind yourself that God is at work. Remind yourself that in all circumstances He's working for your good. Remind yourself that what you're going through will make you like Jesus. Remind yourself that He who began a good work in you will finish it. Remind yourself that you can have joy even when everything is falling down around you. Not because of the circumstances, but because of the great God who promises that is not the end of the story. So, by the work of the Spirit, let's grow in finding joy even in the midst of troubling times. 
And I'm going to pray for us that we'll be able to do that. Let's pray. God, you have given us such great promises. Teach us to trust you. Teach us to say, it is well with my soul. And grow us in finding joy, even in the midst of the little trials, and the big trials, and every trial in between. We trust that you're using it for our good, the good of making us like Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.